Our scripture reading this morning is found in Psalm 49. Psalm 49. We'll read that entire psalm. The Catechism refers especially to verses 7 and 8 of this psalm in support of its teaching in Lord's Day 5. So we'll read the whole psalm. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding. I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the harp. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he seeth that wise men die, Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man being in honor abideth not. He is like the beasts that perish. This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. And men will praise thee when thou doest well to thyself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. Man that is in honor and understandeth not is like the beasts that perish. That far we read. In God's holy inspired word, may God bless that word to our hearts. It's in connection with that 
portion of Scripture that we treat the truth of Scripture summarized in Lord's Day 5. Questions and answers 12 through 15. I'll read those. Found on page 5 in the back of the Psalters. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? God will have his justice satisfied, and therefore we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. Can we ourselves then make this satisfaction? By no means, but on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. What sort of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? For one who is very man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. Beloved congregation, in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you and I are going to live and die happily, we must understand, in the first place, our sins and miseries. We must understand, in the second place, how we are delivered from our sins and miseries. And lastly, we must understand how to express our gratitude to God for delivering us from those sins and miseries. So we have dealt in the Catechism with Lord's Days 2 through 4, the subject of our sins and miseries. We have seen that we are prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor. We have seen that we ourselves put ourselves in that circumstance. The human race brought our misery upon ourselves. That makes our misery all the worse. And then we have seen that our misery consists in the fact that we, because of our sins and miseries, we deserve the punishment of God. Upon us. We deserve the torments of hell because of our sins and sinfulness. God's justice demands that. 
Well, how then are poor and wretched sinners who are worthy of eternal damnation, how then can we be delivered from the wrath that we deserve? And how can we be brought back into fellowship with God? We might like to have a quick answer to that question. But the Catechism doesn't jump to the quick answer. It wants to take us step by step through the logic to show us our need for a mediator. We have to see that all the other doors are closed and that the only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. So the Catechism is going to do that. It's going to teach us in Lord's Day 5 that we need a mediator. We need a redeemer who is able to satisfy the justice of God. So that, and when we see that, we have to see that Jesus Christ is the only answer. Psalm 49 expresses that same truth, and that's why the Catechism referred to Psalm 49 in verses 7 and 8, but also I'll add verse 9 to that. The psalmist says about mankind this, None of them, none of mankind, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. Why not? Verse 8. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. And the result is, no one can give a ransom for his brother. No one can make that payment in such a way that, verse 9, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. No one can make that payment to bring about that result. No mere man is able to pay the ransom price. The only way for God to bring us back to himself, the only way for there to be reconciliation is through the satisfaction of his justice. All the requirements of God's justice have to be met. How are they met? God himself makes the provision. And the psalmist recognizes that too in this psalm. Psalm 49, verse 15, he says, after he shows there's no other way, then verse 15 says, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he 
shall receive me. God will redeem us through Jesus Christ. The catechism is setting up that truth. We need a mediator. And God provides that. I want to speak then this morning about reconciliation through satisfaction. And it's that mediator that will make that satisfaction. First, let's note the great necessity of satisfaction. Secondly, the creaturely impossibility. We can't make it. Another creature can't make that satisfaction. Another mere creature. And then lastly, then we see the divine provision. God is the one who provides salvation for us. In the last Lord's Day of the Catechism, we saw that we are subject to God's curse. We deserve to be under God's wrath. That's because God is a holy and just God. And God, as the God who he is, so perfectly holy, he must punish sin. He cannot look the other way. Justice, and that's the picture also in Psalm 49, God's justice must be satisfied. And that idea of satisfaction is not really a difficult one. It simply means to do enough. To satisfy God's justice, enough has to be done. Sin has to be paid for. There has to be enough of a payment. And it doesn't matter whether a person is rich or poor. The psalmist addresses all the different classes of people. It doesn't matter if someone is a menial servant slaving away in some dark corner somewhere. It doesn't matter if they're a lowly person or if they're a high official even a king or some prince, it doesn't matter. Justice still has to be satisfied for them. So that the psalmist says, everybody needs to pay attention to this truth. The psalmist himself says, I will incline mine ear to a parable. I must listen to this truth, and you must listen too. Why? Because we all face the prospect of death. Psalmist talks about that. We all must die, and after we die, we all must face the judgment unless Christ returns first. Then we won't die, but we all must face the judgment. Psalm 49, verse 10, the psalmist says, For 
He seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool. And the brutish person, the fool and the brutish person perish and leave their wealth to others. Death is a great equalizer. Because no matter how much someone has in the world or no matter how little they have in the world, no matter what kind of rank they lived with, death equalizes all of that. There's no differences on the other side of the grave. And none of us can escape the jaws of death unless, unless Christ returns first, but otherwise all of us will face death. But is there a way? Is there a way by which we might escape the power of the grave? Is there a way for us to escape the punishment that we deserve? And is there a way not only to escape the punishment, but is there a way to be received back into God's favor? Is there a way in which God's curse can be put away from us, the curse that we deserve, and is there a way for us to receive the blessings of God? How is it that someone who is in a hostile relationship, who is an enemy to God, how can they be taken back into the presence of God and enjoy fellowship with God again? That's a serious question. It's like the question of the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? What has to happen for me to be saved? And is, is it even possible? Now to think of the impossibility on a creaturely level, think of a beautiful China vase. Someone has a beautiful vase and now you take that vase and you drop it on the tile floor and it shatters into millions of pieces. Would you go to the owner of that and say that it's not a big problem we can we can glue it back together again. The children would understand, you can't put it back together. And that's the question as regards our salvation. Can those who are sinners against God, can now they be brought back, made whole, and brought into fellowship with God again? Is there, and that's the question of the catechism, is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor. Isn't there a way that we can put it back together again? The catechism doesn't answer immediately. Yes, 
Because first, it wants us to see God's justice must be satisfied. That's how it answers. Is there no way? And it answers, God will have his justice satisfied. It's striking that the catechism does not answer immediately. It gives such a blunt answer. Because it wants us to understand that fundamental truth. God will. And there the idea is not just what's going to happen in the future, but it is God's irrevocable will. It is his purpose to have his justice satisfied because of the kind of God he is. Salvation can only come through satisfaction. God will have his justice satisfied. Well, then what has to be done to satisfy God's justice? What has to be done for us to be saved? Well, two things. Two things. First, the misery of our guilt has to be put away. We stand before God, before his bar of justice, and legally we are guilty. We are guilty because we descended from Adam and we inherit that guilt from Adam. He was our covenant head. He represented us. We are guilty in Adam. That guilt has to be put away. And then also we have our own personal sins and sinfulness We are guilty because of our own sins. And that guilt has to be put away. So Lord's Day 5 especially has in view that legal guilt. So for us to be reconciled to God, that guilt has to be put away. But secondly, for us to be saved, also the misery of our corruption must be put away. Our corruption must be dealt with. And you understand that corruption is the sentence that was imposed upon us because of our guilt. Because we were guilty in Adam, we also have the sentence of corruption placed upon us. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God said to them, The day that thou eatest of the fruit, thou shalt surely die. They ate of the fruit and they were guilty. And then the sentence that was imposed upon them for their guilt is that they died. 
Spiritually, they died. They were corrupted. They became wholly corrupted in their natures. And now we inherit that corruption from them. Our guilt and our corruption must be dealt with. So, just as our misery has those two aspects, so does our salvation. It has that legal aspect. We must be saved from our guilt. And it has that spiritual, ethical aspect. God saves us from our corruption. He takes us, changes our legal status so that he no longer views us as guilty. And then he takes us from that spiritual condition of death, delivers us from spiritual death in that order, takes away our guilt, deals with that guilt first, and then on the basis of that also imputes to us perfect righteousness, takes our guilt away, gives to us perfect righteousness so that we stand before his bar of justice as perfectly righteous. And then on the basis of that, also delivers us from our spiritual death. He does. For God to save us, for us to be delivered from our sins and miseries, God's justice must be satisfied. Absolutely necessary that that justice be satisfied. But now the question is, how? How can that justice be satisfied? And the catechism goes through the answer And it's going to answer the question, can we ourselves make satisfaction? Can we make the payment that has to be paid that would satisfy God's justice? And the psalmist addresses that. He talks about their own trust, people who trust in their wealth. Verse 6, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. As if that somehow made them better. And the psalmist says, none of them None of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is precious and it ceaseth forever. All the riches 
Children, take all the riches in all the world, all the gold that exists in the world. Gather it all together in one place. All the things that people cherish in the whole world, put it all together and all of it together is not enough to pay the ransom price. It's not enough to redeem us from our misery. Somehow these rich people and powerful people thought they could pay the ransom for their own souls, but the psalmist is emphatic. They cannot by any means while our riches certainly cannot satisfy God's justice, take all the billions of dollars, why not? The psalmist declares, for the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever. That's kind of a difficult phrase to understand, but the idea is this. Whatever payment you tried to make, it will never be enough. It ceaseth forever. It comes short forever. It comes forever short. It will never even come close to making the payment. That includes wealth, but that includes also good works. Take all the good works of all the people in the whole world, put them all together. It's not enough even to make the payment for one sinner. In fact, even the best works don't serve to even contribute to the payment, but rather increase our debt because they are tainted with sin, so they make us go deeper into debt. You and I cannot satisfy God's justice without suffering for eternity the punishment that we deserve. We cannot make that payment ourselves. Well, then the catechism asks, well, what about another creature? Could it be that maybe another creature could satisfy in our place? There have been some in the history of the church who taught that in the Old Testament, Israel, through the sacrifices of animals, bulls and goats and all kinds of sheep, that they were able to satisfy God's justice through those sacrifices. But it doesn't matter what kind of animal. Take the largest of animals, the smallest of animals. There's no other kind of animal that could make the payment and satisfy God's justice. Hebrews 10 verse 4 Hebrews 10 verse 4 addresses that very thing. 
It says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It's not possible. Why did God have the saints in the Old Testament offer one offering after another? It was not to make satisfaction, but it was to point the people forward. It was to point them to the necessity of satisfaction through the one that God would provide. That's why they offered those in the Old Testament. God would send redemption one day. So animals, bulls and goats and all those other animals that were offered, they could not make satisfaction. What if you found, just for the sake of argument, you could find a regular human being, someone like Adam, before he fell. Could he make satisfaction? Well, if you had a perfectly righteous human being, how long would he have to spend in hell before he made the payment for what we deserved? He would have to spend eternity in hell. He would never finish making the payment. And even then, it would only be the payment for one other person. But he could never make that payment. And any other person who was not perfect, he couldn't take our place because they themselves have to pay for their own sins. So we come to that conclusion. No other animal, no other human being. Well, maybe what about an angel? What about a, an angel who was yet perfectly righteous? One of those angels that had not fallen, could they make the payment? And the answer is they cannot make the payment either. God will not take the payment of an angel in the place of a human being. There are two reasons that God will not accept the punishment of another mere creature. And angels are just that. They're other creatures. Why God will not take the payment of another creature in our place. God will not satisfy his justice in the punishment of sin through another creature. And the first answer, the first reason is that God is just. And his justice, his fairness requires that if a human being sinned, it must be a human being that suffers. Ezekiel 18 verse 20, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And therefore, if a human being has sinned, the human being must die. And so that debt has to be paid. It's a body and a soul that sinned. 
A human body and a human soul involved in sin. It must be a human body and a human soul that suffers the consequences for sin. God is fair. God is just. But then the second reason that God would not punish another mere creature in our place is that another mere creature could not sustain the burden of God's wrath. Could not bear the full burden of God's wrath against our sin. We go back to that, if we had a perfectly righteous person, someone like Adam before the fall, and you took them and put them in our place, well, we said already they would have to spend eternity in hell, or if you said, pour out an eternity's worth of punishment in a short amount of time, they could not sustain that wrath. They would die before all that wrath was poured out. So a mere creature cannot take that punishment upon themselves in our place. There is no way that another mere creature, someone who is only a creature, they could not sustain the burden of God's wrath with the result that they would deliver anyone else from the punishment that we deserve. That's our misery. But the Catechism and Scripture does not leave us there. Thanks be to God that God provides the mediator. Not a mere creature could take our place. We must look to God himself. And that's what the psalmist says in this psalm. After he speaks of all the rich and all the powerful, they cannot obtain redemption and then he says, but God, verse 15, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Who can serve as a mediator that will satisfy for our sins, that will make the payment, the full payment, and who can bring us into fellowship with God again? The Catechism points out four qualities, three or four, depends on how you number them, but four qualities that are necessary in a mediator who will make that payment. And yes, in the first place, he must be truly man. Because justice requires that. He must be truly man. But he also, in the second place, must be 
perfectly righteous. And then in the third place, he must be truly God. And together with that, because he is truly God, he is also more powerful in the fourth place, more powerful than all creatures, able to sustain the burden of God's wrath against sin. God has revealed that mediator to us in Scripture. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the mediator to whom you and I must look. That is the mediator who has all those qualities necessary to satisfy the justice of God. Born of the Virgin Mary, he was truly man. Conceived by the Holy Ghost, he was truly God, perfectly righteous as the Son of God, more powerful than all creatures, Jesus Christ is that mediator to whom you and I must look. And why would we ever look anywhere else? Why would we want to look anywhere else if God had provided such a mediator and he has? And when we know that, that God has provided the mediator, then we can say, with the psalmist, as he does in this psalm. In verse 5, he says, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? Why should I fear? Why should you and I fear? Death itself. Why should you and I fear the guilt of our sins and some great sins that we have committed? Why should we fear if God has made the payment for us already? No matter what iniquity rises up against us, God has redeemed us through the blood of his Son. So that you and I can live and die happily in perfect blessedness because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for the mediator Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom thou hast provided, who has all the qualities necessary to satisfy thy justice for our sins. Teach us, we pray, not to look elsewhere, but to look only to Jesus Christ for salvation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.